All right, Mark chapter 7. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Call your attention to verse 31, and we'll read from verse 31 down to verse 37. Grass with us and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a man who was deaf. He had a speech impediment. They begged him to lay his hand on him. Taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. After spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed. And he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astonished beyond measure. This is what they said. He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you under the righteousness of Jesus with no righteousness of our own. We pray in the Spirit, and by the Spirit, to you, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, I need help today. Our church needs help today. So we ask you to help us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to take up the Bible and start reading, you would get to the New Testament, and when you get into the New Testament, you'll find that the first four books in the New Testament, they all tell the same story. We call them Gospels. Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Oftentimes, if a new believer asks me where to start reading the Bible, I'll usually tell them, start in John. Get the story of the gospel from John first. John is written in a poetic, transcendental style that takes us to the divinity of Jesus. We see him differently in John. The other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are more down to earth and very similar to one another. In fact, they are called the synoptic gospels because they are synonymous they are almost the same. Oftentimes you can read one story in Mark and go over to Matthew and there you find it's the same story told just a little bit differently. But now and then, in each one of the gospel writers, now and then they will turn aside and tell us a story that none of the others mentioned. This story I just read to you is unique to Mark. Mark is the shortest gospel, and even in his economy of language, 
is economy of language as he has left a whole lot of stuff out. For some reason, Mark has decided to tell us this story. He gives us something that no other writer from the Bible does. Now, when that happens, when you come up on something like that, we need to pay extra close attention. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that inspired Mark, he got his information from Peter, who was an eyewitness, and Peter evidently convinced him to put this story in there. When you read it, you see that he is telling us something so special, so unique, so spectacular, that, that although the other writers didn't mention it, Mark had to tell it. He had to tell it so that you might be strengthened, so that you might be helped, so that you might be healed, so that you might be made whole. Look, this, this story is here for you. So that you will never, in fact, here's the theme of the sermon, never underestimate the saving love of Jesus. Never underestimate saving love of Jesus. Here's what I want to do. Let's go back to the story. And uh, I've been looking at it all week, flipping it over front ways, back ways, and any kind of ways to figure out what is here. And uh, what I want to do for the next few moments is just walk through it and serve as a little bit of a tour guide and just point out a couple of things that I think you will find interesting, maybe helpful. Then we'll come back, put it in an outline form and make some application and call that a sermon. Let's go back. Check it out with me. Go with me to verse 30, 31. Join me there. The text says, he returned to the region of Tyre. He went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. It is a circuitous route. What should have taken about 60 miles turns into be 120 miles. If you were to lay this little route on a map, it would look like, why is he taking that direction? He is going the long way home. You open up your maps and you turn off. Uh, get me past toll booths and highways and interstates. What should take three hours takes nine hours. That's what's going on here. For some reason, and Peter just gives us, Mark gives us the information, he takes this strange route to land back at that place called Decapolis. He has an appointment there. They brought to him a man. Here comes the description of verse 32. They brought to him a man who was deaf, so he can't hear. Sometimes that word means can't hear and can't talk, but Mark is now stressing it. He's going to use a phrase that is used nowhere else in the New Testament. He is deaf, and he had a speech impediment. Literally means he talked with difficulty. Evidently, something happened when when he was older and he lost his hearing and then his mouth atrophied and you get to where if you don't have hearing, you, you, you can't hear yourself speak and so the speech gets difficult. It's the condition we find him in. They brought him, this man, and they begged him. It's interesting to me in the, in the passage, they didn't ask Jesus to heal him. Now, obviously, that's what they wanted, Jesus to heal him, but they just begged Jesus, 
Just put your hand on him. It's interesting, verse 33. There are six of them. Six steps in verse 33, 34, 35. I'll, I hopefully will point them out to you. I, is, I find it strange. If you put this story up against the one we went over last week, it's the, the Syrophoenician woman and her daughter who had a demon, and Jesus healed that little girl without going there, without saying a word. He just did it. He just thought it, and it was done. Here, here is this elaborate step-by-step. Jesus, he treats each person differently. Verse 33, and taking him aside from the crowd privately. This was not an Instagram moment. He was not doing this so that everybody would see how powerful he was. His focus was on this man. Doing it privately so that it wouldn't be a spectacle. The man has suffered enough in his life. Let's not not make a spectacle out of him. So Jesus pulls him over to the side so that the man can have face-to-face with Jesus. So he can see Jesus and Jesus can see him. It's interesting that that he was pulled over privately. We can assume that there was an eyewitness. Peter was there. Peter was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He tells us the story. And this feels a whole lot like somebody that was giving an eyewitness account. So the text says in verse 33 that he took him aside privately away from the crowd. and And he put his fingers in his ears. Why didn't he put his fingers in his ears? Ears, that's where the problem is. The man can't hear, so Jesus communicates him with him in a way he can understand. You have an issue. I'm going to fix it right here. See what your problem is. Not only that, he, this seems odd to me. He spit on his hand and, and put that on the man's tongue. I, so I tried to research and find out why did he do that, and every commentator I write had some sort of wild idea. Uh, somebody said, well, he was, you know, in that day and time, that's the way a magic uh, spell was. Sometimes I'm reading comments. I think they just make stuff up. <laughs> like, I'm just going to write a commentary, and this is what I think about that. I, I don't know why Jesus did that other than to say it's your, it's, your, it's your ears and it's your mouth. I see what the problem is. I am going to fix it. After he did that, verse 33, verse 34, <clears throat> put his fingers in his ears. After spitting, he touched, he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, looking up to heaven, this is the same thing he did in John 17, the high priestly prayer. Here is Jesus making sure that the, that the deaf, mute man understands where this is coming from. This is not a magic trick. This is, you understand that God is going to heal you. So he looks to heaven, to the Father, Jesus comes to give glory to the Father, to bring people to give glory to the Father. Why does he heal you? So that you might give glory to the Father. So he looks up to heaven, and, 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 and this, is, this is what makes it feel like an eyewitness account. The text says in verse 34 that, uh, that, he, that he sighed. Man, I'm so, I'm so glad that, that we have this detail. You have the, the personality and the emotions of Jesus comes uh, 3D for us. We, we all of us understand a sigh. In fact, that word sigh is really a groan. He groaned, and after he did, in verse 34, he said to him, Ephatha, 
Oftentimes, Jesus would use an Aramaic word, and Mark always translates it. Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here he tells us that Jesus said an Aramaic word, and for his Greek, write, for his Greek readers, remember this is written for people that are in Rome. Mark is written for Roman Christians. Mark says what that means is, he said, be opened. What's amazing to me, I don't know, I don't want to get in a circular talk about it, but Jesus is speaking, that speaking, that word has to be heard to be effective. So when did it happen? He spoke and the man heard, be opened. And immediately his, his, the text says that his tongue was unshackled, it was unloosed. And they've never seen anything like that. He spoke plainly, orthos is where we get orthopedic, he's straight. He spoke, he speaks, heck, what a miracle that your mouth had atrophied. You spoke with difficulty, now it's straight. Verse 36, so Jesus knew how they were going to react. We find out how they react in verse 37. He tells them around, look, don't, don't tell People get the wrong idea. They want to have him to be the miracle worker. They're going to rush and make him king. Jesus is coming not for this, but to show that what he's doing has authority, that he's going to the cross. Don't tell, but the more, well, you know how it is, the more you have something, the more you're told not to tell, just tell it. And, and so the text says, you know, the more Jesus said that, the more they just told it. Verse 37 they are astonished uh, that there's a one time in the New Testament. Astonished beyond measure. So here's astonishment one time in the New Testament. In the whole New Testament, Mark uses this word to say, it's beyond what you can count. And this is what they said, something that sounds a lot like what you hear in Genesis 1 at creation when, when God would create and he would step back from creation and say, it is good. This is what they said, the, the new creation. He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute speak. Now let's take a step back and start slow and see what it is we should never underestimate. Let me give it the first one, number one, starting verse 31. Number one, never underestimate the power of your testimony. Never underestimate the power of you telling what God has done for you. Every one of us here, if you are a believer in Jesus, if you're a Christian, you are a trophy of God's grace, and your testimony is telling how that trophy was won. How did it happen? I'm sure where I get that. It's from verse 31. Uh, Mark tells us the securitist route that Jesus took in verse 31 and where he ends up at the very end of verse 31. Look where he lands in the Decapolis. Deca is 10. Polis is city, 10 cities. Alexander the Great had put 10 Greek cities there, hoping, hoping they would flourish. They never really did. It's mostly a Gentile region. There's some Jews that live there. But that, that's not as important as in we've heard this town before. The Decapolis. The, the Decapolis is where Jesus went in Mark chapter 5. Remember that? The man that was the, known as the Gerasene demoniac. The man was possessed by a demon, but it wasn't just one demon. There were so many inside of him, they had named themselves Legion. I had a football coach in college that was so mean, that's what I called him, Legion. He didn't have one demon. 
many demons in that man. <laughs> Filled with demons. And, and Jesus cast the demons out of that man. And those demons went into the herd of swine. Those pigs ran down the hill and ran into the Sea of Galilee. And then when that happened, the people in Decapolis, they begged Jesus, please leave. We don't want you. I'll tell you one person did. The man that was healed. And that man said, Jesus, kind of, please, please let me come with you. Please let me come with you. I want to come with you. Remember what Jesus told him in Mark chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. Jesus says to him, look, go home to your friends and you tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So we find out verse 20 of chapter 5. He went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis. He began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So much so that back in our text, verse 32, chapter 7. So much so they knew to bring this deaf mute to Jesus. Why? Because they had heard from that man who was healed from the demons, they had heard what Jesus could do. Testimony. What has Jesus done for you? Are you telling what God has done for you in Jesus? Are you telling the blessings God has given you? Are you telling... The mercy. Think of the mercy. Do people that know you know that you know Jesus? Do people know that you, they need to make, make sure when you talk about Christ, you talk about the church, you talk about being a Christian, that you're not saying how good you are. You are saying how bad you were and Christ saved you. That, that you are a sinner separated from God. God in his mercy gives us Jesus who lived perfectly, died on the cross for us. God raised him from the dead. You believed that and it changed you. Amen. Never underestimate the power of your testimony. Amen. I'm going to give you another thing. Let's pick up speed a little bit. Here's the second thing. Number two, never underestimate your ministry. Your ministry. Let me show you where I get that in verse 32. <clears throat> He returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. They. Who is the they? They brought this man. He's going to be healed, but he wouldn't have been healed if they hadn't done the work. They were friends of this deaf mute. They couldn't fix him. They knew Jesus could, so they brought him. Not only that, they are anonymous. They didn't have the picture made, turned into a poster, put on the wall, look how great they are. We don't know who they are. All we know is that somebody took the time to go the extra mile to make sure that deaf mute got to Jesus. I mean, why do we do that? Why do we do the ministries we do around here? Why do we starting an addiction ministry? Believe in an exchange that, that Christ takes sin, gives righteousness. Why are we doing missions? Because we believe that people need to know. Why do we do something that, that sounds as silly as trunk or treat, but can be a tool? This is an, 
this building can be an intimidating, intimidating place. It's easier for people to say, well, I don't want to go to a big church. And what we do at Hickory Grove with you, your ministry, is make the big church a place where you can be connected. That relationships, we, we make sure we take every barrier, knock it down, and have the gospel stand tall so we can point people to Christ and what it means to be a part of the church. And here's they. It's an anonymous person, maybe two or three people. They took this man. All they cared about was getting him to Jesus. Never underestimate the power of your ministry. I'm going to give you something else about verse 32. I'll move on. Here's a third one. Never underestimate effective prayer. Asking God to move. Let me show you where I get that. Verse 32. Um, Verse 32 tells us, And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. That phrase, speech impediment, you won't find that anywhere else in the New Testament. I'm going to deal with that in just a little bit. But it really really means trouble. He's got trouble talking. He couldn't talk, but his friends could. And the text says in verse 32, they brought him to Jesus and they are begging. It's parakaleo. Kaleo means to call out. Para intensifies that. They kept doing it over and over again. Asking him, interceding to Jesus on behalf of this person. Look, you need to find a person that is deaf to the gospel and can't speak the name of Jesus. And you need to intercede for that person. You need to write their name down in the back of your Bible, or maybe in the front or in your, in your prayer journal. And ask God to heal. And don't stop doing it. In fact, we'll sing today. It's a good time for you to, to do that today during our invitation. Here are friends that not only brought this deaf mute to Jesus, they, on behalf of their friend, they went to Jesus, asked. What are you asking? What are you asking for your friend? What are you asking for the person that you work out with, that you work with, that you see at school? What are you asking for your friends at school? Never underestimate the power of effective prayer. Let's go to Jesus now. We've looked at that. Let's go to Jesus. Number four, never underestimate the person of Jesus. The book of Mark is written in an effort to to have the Roman Christians get a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. So we keep that in mind every time we read. And verse 32, I want you to pay very close attention. You probably already saw it. If you have a study Bible, it might be at the, at the bottom in the apparatus. Verse 32 will have a little letter by it, and down at the bottom will show you a, a passage. Don't get ahead of me. Verse 32, I want you to pay close attention to the description of the man. He is a deaf, see it, verse 32? They brought him a man that was deaf and had a speech impediment. If you were reading that in Greek, it would be mogi. Lelos, Mogi is, is difficulty. Lelos is speaking, has difficulty speaking. It's a really unusual phrase. In fact, you can flip all the way through the New Testament and you'll never find it again. So you start thinking, why did Mark use that phrase? Well, if you're reading not just the Greek New Testament, if you're reading also the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint, if you flip through all the pages of the Septuagint, the Old Testament, 
you would come upon the, the prophecy written by Isaiah as he's looking forward to the future when the Messiah would come. And in a messianic prophecy, in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, this is what Isaiah says, looking forward to when the Messiah would come. He said, then, then, when that, when that one comes, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute, same word, same word, same word. Tongue of the one who has difficulty talking. He will sing for joy. Mark reached over into the New Testament, brought that word forward so that we might understand who it is he's talking about. This passage speaks of the Messiah. Mark intentionally used that word to tell us that the promised Messiah is here that the one who can save you and deliver you is here. Jesus Christ, what is the gospel? When we talk about the gospel at Hickory Grove, there's a very specific thing that we mean. Not just that Jesus has come, we mean that Jesus has come to save us because we need saving. See, the Bible story is this, that God is a creator who created you in his image. The image of God in you is disfigured because of sin. Not just the environment, not just the world we live in, but inside of you. A propensity to do things that are offensive to God. Nobody here would say, I'm not a sinner. We would all agree, sinner. The Bible teaches that sin is a crime against God. God as a judge must give justice. Justice means that crime is punished. But the punishment is so severe, it's death. It's so severe and it's so painful that God, who is also merciful in love, gives us Jesus. Here's the gospel. Jesus came to live in a way we can't live. He lived perfectly. Jesus came at the cross to take the punishment that humans like you and me, the punishment that you deserve, Jesus takes. God put that on Jesus. Killed crucified on the cross, buried in a tomb. And we know, that, we know that God received that and was satisfied. Justice was satisfied because he raised Jesus from the dead on a Sunday. It's the day we go to church. It's why we worship on Sunday. Jesus has ascended into heaven and the apostles started preaching. The church started growing. And the message is, if you will believe that, if you'll turn from your sin, believe it. You'll be saved. Never underestimate the, the person, who he is. He will deliver you. In fact, let me just keep going. I just speed it up. Number five. Never underestimate the, never underestimate the power of Jesus. This is verse 35 and, and verse 33, 34, 35. It's my favorite part. I, I've been looking at it all week. I don't know why. You can all, we can all speculate as to why, but I, why did he heal the Syrophoenician woman? her daughter, with a thought. Why did he step? Let's just look at it. Let's go through the six steps of the miracle in verse 33. <clears throat> Taking him aside from the crowd privately, one-on-one. -on -one. This is personal lordship. This is you and Jesus. Taking him aside privately, not as a spectacle, not for people to see. Taking him aside so that there can be focus. 
Christianity is something very personal. Here's Jesus the Savior to save an individual. Take him aside, and it is private. Not only that, there are six of these. Take him aside from the crowd privately. He put his fingers in his ears. Jesus communicates in a way that man could understand. It's very clear where the problem is, where the brokenness is. I'm going to fix it right there. I'm going to fix it on your tongue. Your, your ears and your tongue. I'm going to fix them. So he put his fingers in his ears, put his hand on his tongue. Verse 33 and 34. He looked up to heaven. So this is going to be something that glorifies God. It's going to happen to you. This is not a magic trick. This is God working, healing. I think the most endearing word here uh, in this passage, the, the thing that makes it so much like an eyewitness account and makes me love Jesus more is that he sighed. That he, that he groaned. Every time you see Jesus doing that, it's always him facing the effects of the fall. Always him facing the brokenness of humanity. When you find him outside of Lazarus' tomb and everybody's crying. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he groaned under the pressure. When he looked down at the crowd, and the text says he's got compassion. Even, even Paul takes this word and says, sometimes we are praying so deeply, we just groan. It's, it's, it's hope-giving to me that Jesus looked at this man and groaned. He knew what he was going to do. But he sees the effects of the fall, the anguish that man has been in, and groans. After looking up into heaven and then sighs, the text says, <clears throat> the text says that he said to him in Aramaic, I don't know why Aramaic, Mark is writing to a Roman audience, they speak Greek, but Jesus spoke Aramaic, Ephratha, and that word Mark tells us, that means be opened. What's interesting to me is that he said it and the ears had to work. He made them. He, he creates what he commands. He commands it to happen and it does, just like Genesis 1 and 2, let there be light, there's light. He spoke and it happened. And the text says here that not only were open, but look at the language. The language says that, uh, that his tongue was unshackled, was unfettered, like it had been closed down. And what Christ does is set free. Yeah. Now look, this is a, I'm just going to allegorize it. The truth of the matter is you are shackled and when Christ speaks, he frees you. Amen. He creates a free person. Never underestimate the power of Jesus. Let me give you one last one. Number six. Never underestimate the perfection of Jesus. So he, he does this miracle. They brought the deaf mute man. It's, he's obviously being talked about as the Messiah. Mark uses the word that Isaiah used. He heals this man. It is an astounding thing. Before we even find out what uh, their reaction was. Verse 36 tells us, he says to them, now you, I don't want you talking about this. This is not so that I become seen as a king, that you rush. Remember, they tried to make him king before. I don't want you to think of me just as a miracle worker. This miracle is to show that what I'm going to do has authority. But of course, they're talking about it. They just keep talking about it. The more he told them not to, verse 36, the more they did. And then there's this wonderful summary in verse 37. 
Verse 37 has echoes of Genesis chapter 1 when God would create and step back and say, it is good. Verse 37 tells us, they were astonished beyond measure and they said, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. He has done all things well. If God said it was good at creation, here at recreation, here at the new creation. And this is not what the Bible says, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The beauty of this passage is that I would like for it, if, like, if I were writing it, I would have ended with the phrase, he has done all things well. In fact, I would have kept it in King James. I would have said, he hath done all things well. Now, that's not what Mark does. In fact, Ray Ortland, Presbyterian pastor, looked at this and he said, the most important word in this entire passage is the word even. He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. He has done all things well. He even saves the adulterer. He even forgives the pornography. He even saves the homosexual. He even heals abuse. He even takes away hatred. He even makes those that have been abused whole. He even reverses the prodigal that denies him. He even will save you. This morning, come to the healing, saving, forgiving, restoring Jesus. Never underestimate the power and the saving love of Jesus. As you heads bowed this morning, let's go to the Lord in a moment of prayer. And we'll continue singing and worshiping. I want you to take someone, get in your mind, somebody. You probably already have them. I want you to pray for her when we sing. You may want to come, may want to come here and pray. Ask God. Ask Him. Beg like, beg like the deaf man's friends did. And trust. Maybe that's you. Maybe you realize that's God has supernaturally. He, he spoke and you realized you were deaf. You hadn't believed the gospel, but today you do. Maybe you want to talk to somebody. When we sing, it's a good time to do that. Our pastors are here at the front. If you're not comfortable with that, maybe we'll be out in the lobby. Just talk about what does it mean. Please, please talk to us about what it me means to, to know and believe and trust Jesus Christ as Lord. Father, we thank you for the good words you've given us in the Bible, the beautiful story. We pray that by the Spirit you would apply it to the hearts of people. We pray that you would find us faithful. God, help us to do ministry, to do so trusting that you use it. God, put people in our path that we can take to Jesus. Build your church on those that, that love Christ above all. Be honored with our worship today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.